Welcome to Flip It or Skip It, brought to you by WorthPoint, the world's largest antiques and collectibles pricing and research database. Buy right, sell right, and profit more with WorthPoint. Now, let's meet our hosts. Hi, I'm Dana Crawford. And I'm Wayne Jordan. In today's episode number 32, we're going to be talking about our lucky charms. Lucky charms? Are, are we talking about breakfast cereal here, or is, <laughs> or is it something else? Is this Does this have more to do with, for example, witchcraft? And are we also going to be talking about potions and spells? Oh, my goodness. Well, pin this down a little bit, Dana. What, what are we talking about here? Yeah, charms is a big, a big word. Yeah, it 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 is, and of course, our our listeners have probably figured out that we're going to be talking about jewelry charms, which is in fact the the topic. But charms has just been around forever. I was uh, doing some reading in preparation for this episode, and I mean, Neanderthals had had charms and talismans and things to to invoke the good spirits and discourage the bad spirits. And for many centuries, that's the way it was. Mm-hmm. You know, the Romans and Phoenicians and Assyrians and Babylonians and Chinese, all of those societies had charms with a particular purpose. But it didn't really become a popular jewelry item until the Victoria era because Queen Victoria was a fan. And Queen Victoria wore charm bracelets that were very expensive. They were not just, you know, your dime store charm bracelets. They were encrusted with jewels and made of gold and silver. And, and of course, those types of uh, charms and charm bracelets are still around today. They're very high-end. It was a fascinating read to, to learn about charms school age. Did you have charm bracelets and collect charms? I actually had uh, received a charm bracelet for my 13th birthday, which was my golden birthday, mm-hmm. and uh, May 13th. And so my father and mother gave me a charm bracelet for my golden birthday. Mm-hmm. And of course, the it had one charm that was happy birthday. Right. And it grew from there. I had, um, I have one that's sweet 16. Mm-hmm. And then all the way up to, you know, the high through high school with different activities. And then we traveled a lot. So I have charms from Disney, mm-hmm. from Acapulco, mm-hmm. Puerto Vallarta, different places that we traveled to mm-hmm. on family vacations. We would, you know, dad would pick up a charm for me. And I just treasure it. I actually have it in safekeeping and a safety deposit, but I don't know if I could part with it. I think that it, when you have a charm bracelet for myself, I would, I look forward to the day that I can sit down with grandchildren and talk about my adventures on, on the charms. That's probably the most popular reason that people collect charms is to make a a chronology of their lives, right? You know, things that they're interested in and things that they do. Charms, I've noticed, have made a comeback on eBay, and and I've noticed on 
one of our writers actually wrote a wonderful article about it recently. Who was that? Rebecca Kaufman wrote an article titled Assuring Success with Steve's Good Luck Charms. Steve's. Steve. And of course, Steve was made silver jewelry and furnishings, that sort of thing. Steve actually started uh, as a piano company. They manufactured one of the finest pianos that has ever come out of America. And in its heyday, uh, it gave Steinway a run for its money. It came out of Baltimore. Wow. Interesting. I'm actually not familiar with the name. I just know um, 14K. That's the name I look for. (laughs) (laughs) That's my favorite brand. (laughs) So... Tell me, because I don't know. I don't wear wear jewelry, and I don't collect charms or buy them. I've never when I'm in an estate sale, I pass by the jewelry mainly because I'm not a jewelry. Well, I'm not a jewelry guy. I just don't have the the toolkit or the interest to evaluate jewelry effectively. Sure. So I just let somebody else do it. So I walk right by jewelry. Tell me. What you look for if you're looking through a bunch of jewelry and you run across charms, how do you tell the good ones from the bad ones? Are you buying for you or are you buying to resell? What are your criteria for judging charms? Well, I'm definitely a flipper. I don't don't have an interest to collect them for myself anymore. Um, when I, when I see a pile of jewelry or I see, um, a box or, you know, some kind of a tray, sometimes I'll put them out on trays. I'll, I'll kind of like work my fingers through it. And personally, I'm not an expert, of course, on spotting jewelry, but I do look for the odd Mm-hmm. Or I will look for the charms, and charms can be recognized because they'll generally have the little ring at the top. Mm-hmm. And I've done well selling charms in the past, and I'll look for the interesting, the odd, the the type that maybe is from Disney or Puerto Vallarta or you know some country, Acapulco or Mexico, and just so that it has. Um, it's kind of like coffee mugs. If it's mm-hmm. someplace you visited and you you didn't pick one up, then you go on eBay <laughs> and you look for one that you can get at a better price or that you forgot to get while you were on vacation. I visualize charm bracelets that are, say, all golf-related or art-related or tennis related uh, do you run into those and how does being specialized like that anything it might affect the resale price of sure well of course sterling is going to be um price different than than gold and you can actually go online from ebay amazon any place and pick up a pretty reasonable testing kit so that you can test for gold, silver, or, you know, things like that. But if it's, if it's stamped, you know, that's that the odds are in your favor that it's stamped. 
And then, of course, if it's, um, besides it being interesting, I know I, I did really well one time. I picked up a bunch of saints. Mm-hmm. That sounds so silly. I picked up a bunch of saints. Which, which corner were you working? <laughs> Was it near the, the Vatican or the <laughs> national? Never mind. <laughs> no, and these saints were like charms. And, um, I'm, I'm not, Catholic. I think that they were, they were like Catholic saints of some sort, but, um, I couldn't identify them. And so I had a hard time identifying them. So I just came up with a little strategy where I put all the saints, like I had a clear baby food jar and I just put them in a jar and I called it saints in a jar. <laughs> oh, whoa. Okay. You're going to hell. <laughs> But they were charms, and I just, at the time, it was back in the day when, when eBay was, in my opinion, the Wild Wild West, I call right, it. Right, the early days. It was the early days, and you could do crazy stuff. And so Saints in a Jar, I did pretty well, as I recall, like, I don't know, $80 or something. But um, I didn't pay for much, and I created a story about the Saints that, had I didn't know the name, and of course people were emailing me galore, messaging me that's Saint John and blah blah blah, and you know Saint whoever, <laughs> and um, you know so just take that to the bank because you could put them in a little box lot. You don't have to put them in a jar. You could put them in a box or you know some kind of a a display to display your your charms. Mm-hmm so that you can sell them in a box lot. Okay, this is a good place to stop for a message from our sponsor. We'll be right back. Dealers, you don't have to build your own reference library. WorthPoint has done it for you. With WorthPoint's digital library, you can access over 1,000 books on antiques and collectibles in one convenient place. Find the info you need quickly. Search books by title or author or subject. Dig deep using a keyword search. Don't waste time digging through pages of Google results. Get there quicker with WorthPoint. For a seven-day, seven-lookup-free trial, go to worthpoint.com. Okay, we're back, and it's yours truly, Wayne Jordan and Dana Crawford, and we're talking about vintage charms, jewelry charms, and bracelets and that sort of thing. And let's pick up where we left off. Sometimes you're better off splitting up the bracelet. So if it, if your charms do come on a bracelet, mm-hmm. you're better off taking them off the bracelet and selling them separately because you, in the end, you could make more money, especially if the bracelet's a heavier gold or, or a heavier silver. People like to add their own charms. Right. To personalize them. That's right. Now, the exception to that would be the pre-made charm bracelet that is from St. Augustine, Florida, that has, you know, the different the different charms hanging on it already that represent the community, or Disney with all of the Disney characters. So you can pick those up at amusement parks and different places. I know in Girl Scouts, I had one. I had a Girl Scout charm bracelet that basically had all the letters that spelled out Girl Scout. How do you price these? Oh, oh, with, with so many variables. I mean, there's mm-hmm. the 
the metals, for example, gold or silver or the condition of it, it should be pretty easy to tell just by looking at it. But the design, the designer, the workmanship, provenance, all of those kind of things that go into buying and selling collectibles that would be handy to know. How do you find that kind of stuff out? Well, it's like with everything else. It's all about the keywords when you do your research, mm-hmm. the the name of the item, um, the, the name of the charm. Is it Mickey Mouse, gold, right. charm, Mickey Mouse, silver, charm. And then if there's numbers on the back, uh, sometimes they're dated, actually. You can find a date or they're inscribed, you know, to to my lovely wife or they could be inscribed on the back as well. And mm. those are important features, of course. But just like with everything else, you personally, I start at WorthPoint and look at highest price. And then I look at eBay and I look at sold. Mm-hmm. And then after I do all that, I will take a look at current listings on eBay to see how many are on there in case the market's flooded, if there's you know a lot of on there. And I'll adjust it to lowest price so that now I can see what with the if the market's flooded, what are the lowest ones selling for, and I'll try to understand my competition. And at that point, I would just decide whether to box lot it or you know, put them, put them in a group. A box lot means, of course, to, to put them in a group right. of miscellaneous items. You know, I've seen a lot of people selling jars of jewelry or vases. Like, you know how we get, well, women get a lot of vases, flowers sent to their house over the years. I know like grandma, for example, she would have all these vases lined up that are absolutely worthless. They're, (laughs) you know, they're, they're a dime a dozen at every thrift store you see them. And I've, I've noticed people fill them with jewelry, like miscellaneous jewelry, and then they'll put uh, uh, tape over the top. And sometimes you can even pick those up at Goodwill. And they'll sell them like that. They'll sell mm-hmm. a box lot of miscellaneous jewelry. At auction? Yeah, I've seen them on auction, and then they'll just auction them off. And then I've seen them almost every time I've ever gone to a Goodwill. I've seen them on the shelf. And I've heard stories. If you look on YouTube, you'll you'll find a lot of people that on they do like unboxing of jewelry vases. It's fun to watch. I've I've seen some of those, not for jewelry, but for, for other things. How, when you're doing something like that as a lot, how detailed do you have to be in the description? Is it just lump in good stuff with the bad stuff and take what you can get? Or do you have to, do you itemize? What, tell me how you do that. Well, personally, when I do it with, um, say, with charms, I would I would lay them all out and then take a photo of the group of them and then um, zoom in on like maybe six at a time till I have 12 photos. So, But I would do the whole front and then flip them over and do the whole back of all of them and then try to section them off into smaller group. In my description, I may 
just say the number this many right. um or i may itemize if they all are characters or they all have names then i may itemize them one by one uh when you do that is there a lot of interest do they sell quickly does it take a while to move them what's what's the market like well it's interesting that you say that because I had someone, I had a client bring me a bunch of gold and silver and they were all split up and there was some charms, there were some uh, bracelets and it was definitely a seller's market. So it was, the the market was hot on Mm -hmm. gold and silver. Mm -hmm. And if, if it's at a time when you're doing your listings, you might want to check and see you know, if the market's hot, take a look at the stock exchange or or whatever, take a look at Google and see how gold and silver are selling at what price, because then sometimes you want to go into what's called scrap. Right. And then you list it as scrap and then you list, you don't even have to describe anything except the weight. When I did this, I actually did this as this person that I was selling this for needed money right away. And I did one-day auctions. And in my experience, I did better on a one-day auction with gold and silver scrap mm-hmm. than I did running for a week hmm. on on other items. Because in, it seemed like the jewelry buyers wanted their stuff right away. They wanted that, that stuff right away. They didn't want to mess around. Well, plus that's just good sales technique to offer something for... A limited time. This is a limited quantity. This is what I've got. It all has to be gone to be gone by tomorrow, and uh, day after tomorrow, it will be gone. You will never be able to get it again. That's just a little added sales pressure, uh, and people who want it will buy it. They'll they'll jump at it, and it's normal. People do that. I do that. Yes, makes sense. So it does work. I think it was like uh, Memorial or it was Labor Day. It was a holiday weekend so that people would be off on that Monday. Right. So that's another thing when you're to increase your odds, you want to take a look at the days of the week and and the holidays that it could be falling on. And does the day of the week that you choose have to do with the item? Or the price, anything like that, or is just is it simply that some days are better than others? Well, I think some days are better than others. However, there's you know months that are better than others, in my experience, because July is slow. It's known to be slow. However, I just killed it selling ham radios. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so, mm-hmm. so you know it it boosted it changed my numbers of. July, because July is usually slow for me. But the hammers were out. <laughs> that sounds like it. You know, uh, you mentioned earlier uh, Disney charm bracelets, and we've talked about designers and quality and what it's made of. I'm looking at a listing that's an archived listing on WorthPoint. It's from uh, sold on eBay about two years ago. It's a Cartier Snow White and Seven Dwarfs charm bracelet. Went for $35,000. Wow. And here's a white and gold diamond charm bracelet by Graf. And Graf has always been 
a big name in expensive jewelry. This one sold for forty thousand dollars in twenty seventeen. So, on on the the high end, uh, these things can get quite pricey. And on the low end, of course, I won't go all the way to the bottom of the page, but a, a lot of these little, little nondescript charms are going for a dollar, two dollars, something like that. So, and in that instance, it would make sense to lot those and do, uh, I don't know, saints in a jar or something. <laughs> do you remember at one point, I want to say it was the 90s, the bracelet came out, the charm bracelet changed for women, and it turned into like little squares. They were like little squares that snapped on a bracelet. can't hmm. think of what they're called. That one passed me by altogether. I have one of those, too, that somebody gave me, and I never liked it. Well, let's hope the person who gave you that gift isn't listening to this episode. <laughs> yeah, I never liked that. Um, yeah, square charms, they're flat, and they would um, have have a design on them. Mm-hmm. So they're, they're flat like they were little... Um tablets of some sort with with a design on them and that's they would all be that same shape and the designs would vary yeah so every every little square would be the same size throughout throughout the around your bracelet they would snap on and the top of them would have a photo or a raised graphic of whatever like a shamrock or a heart or they were Italian made. I believe it was Italy that came up with this idea. And it took off and they're still out there today. Personally, I don't think they're as popular, but they still are up there in dollar if you find or in value if you find um the the silver or the gold. But the big thing about these were they were stainless steel. Oh. Well, that's curious. Well, uh, from, charms were made of a lot of different things. I, I would personally be looking for the older ones made of Bakelite or something if I were out looking at them, because that's a popular collectible and holds its value fairly well. But I can see that they, they could be made of any kind of plastic or any kind of metal. So the, the there's just such a wide variety, just like there is in any other kind of jewelry. Sure. And and I suspect that you would have in charm bracelets, you'd have fine jewelry, and you'd also have costume jewelry. In the 80s, there were the plastic charms. And mm-hmm. yes, the plastic charms were crazy. And I remember finding some of these and just selling them for very good money on eBay. Yes. And they were... The kids would get them in a necklace, and then you would get all these plastic charms. Um, the last one I sold, well, there's one on Etsy now. They're asking a hundred dollars. Wow! For plastic, because it's from the eighties. Sure, it's got um, a French fries, Mister Good Bar. <laughs> it's got Colgate toothpaste. All those good eighties things. Yeah, <laughs> it's just. The way that it was a it was a fad back then, mm-hmm. and every once in a while you can find those, and they're very unique. If I you know, so I challenge everybody just do a, a search for eighties 
plastic charms. Mm-hmm. And you'll be surprised at what you find. Like a lot of other collectibles, a large segment of the market is simply nostalgia-driven. And if you had one as a kid, or if you had a fondness for them, when you pick one up in a in a shop or see one at a at some kind of market, it's just going to bring back the emotion of nostalgia, and that's going to make you want it. So I can see how people would pay $100 to have those memories back. Sure. So you want to dig through those boxes when when they're on display. That gives me something else to look for when I go to a sale and see a box full of what I would say, oh, what's all this junk? <laughs> Get in there and find thousands of dollars worth of stuff. So. You know, that's when you say, you know what? I don't feel like going through this box right now. How much do you want for the whole box? And I'll take it home and, and sort it out. Good, good strategy. Good strategy there. Okay, Dana. Well, the clock on the wall is telling me that it's time to wrap this up and and I'd like to thank our listeners for being with us today. And and that's it. So, Dana, thanks, and I we will I will see you next week. Thanks, Wayne. It's been charming. Mm-hmm. <laughs> oh, You've been listening to Flip It or Skip It, brought to you by WorthPoint.com, the world's largest antiques and collectibles pricing and research database. Buy right, sell right, and profit more with WorthPoint. WorthPoint.